from Judges verses 8 to the end, 8 to 15, Judges chapter 12. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Aijalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon the son of Hillel the Pirithonite judged Israel. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons who rode on seventy donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, died and was buried at Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. Amen. Thank you, Evelyn, for reading God's Word. Very well read. <laughs> so thank you. Um, we're going to focus this morning on Judges chapter 13. So if you could have your Bibles open there, Judges uh, chapter 13 will be our focus this morning. And we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you so much that we are here. We thank you so much, Lord, that we have a place to meet in safety Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, the persecuted church. We pray for those who are in hiding this day. We pray for those who are in fear for their lives. Lord, will you strengthen them, help them, lift them up, Lord. May they see you each day. May they know the prayers of your people from around the world for them. And Lord, we ask this morning that as we jo join all the saints around the world, um, looking at your word together with all of them, singing your praises together with all of them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your name would be honored and glorified in all that is said and done here this morning. Thank you, Lord. In your precious and wonderful name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So I figured out the other day um, that I have been a follower of Jesus, a Christian, for 20 years, um, 20 years, and I thought to myself, you'd think I'd get better at it, <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's, a, it's a road that's full of ups and downs, it's a road that is absolutely joyous, um, and yet it is a road that is difficult. If I'm going to follow after him, what did Jesus say? You take up your cross and you follow me, and so I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And what I've found throughout those 20 years is that Jesus, time and time again, he always proves himself to be faithful. Even when I'm faithless, he has been faithful right the way throughout. And what I've noticed about my God throughout the years is this, that our God makes the impossible possible. That my God is a master at making the impossible possible possible. 
And one of the ways I know that this morning, that God can make the impossible possible, is that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is evidence that God has made the impossible possible. Because if He has changed your life, that is a miracle. That is one of the greatest miracles you will ever see. That the Lord Jesus has changed your life from a person who was dead to now a person who is alive. That is a miracle. It is a miracle because we were not looking for Jesus. We were enemies of Jesus. And now through Jesus, He has made us friends. That is a miracle. For Him to change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that is a miracle. For the fact that the old is gone and the new has come, that is a miracle. That is the truth that God makes the impossible possible. And this morning, I want you to see that truth in this chapter. Because in this chapter, we have a miracle. Something that you would look at and you would say, that's impossible. Humanly speaking, there is no way that could ever happen. And yet when you look at this passage, you see our God is a God of miracles who makes the impossible possible. And what we have at the start here of this passage is a miracle birth. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold! You are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Here's what we have in this passage, a miracle birth, a birth where God makes, humanly speaking, the impossible possible. We don't hear much about Manoah's wife. We don't even know her name, but we do know two things about her. His wife was barren, and his wife had no children, in verse 2. And she was barren, and she had no children. I guess if she was barren, she would have no children. Isn't that right? And then, in case she didn't know, the angel of the Lord appears to her, and the angel of the Lord says to her, Behold, you are barren, and you have no children. Angel, you didn't need to tell me that. But that is the point, isn't it? The emphasis is exactly that. She is barren and she has no children. So whatever happens here is going to be a miracle of the hand of God. And when you see births, just births in general, all births are miracles. That's what I figured out the moment Luana got pregnant. That births are miracles. You see, I thought before, I just thought people got pregnant, had babies, simple. I just thought that's the way it went. I never looked into it. I never thought, you know, oh, I need to look into it. I never thought about it for a second until Luana got pregnant. And the moment Luana got pregnant, I started to realize this thing is an absolute 
miracle. Because all that has to go right in order for this to happen is an absolute miracle. And all the difficulties even in our history that we've experienced realizes and you see for a child to be born is no accident. It is an absolute miracle from the hand of God. God makes the impossible possible. And what you see in this chapter is that the Lord is going to bring about a child through a barren woman who has no children. This is a miracle. And this is the way that God moves. We have seen in Scripture, this is not the only time in Scripture, we have seen God do this kind of miracle. To come to a barren woman and give her a child that she should not have. Abraham. In Genesis 12, Abraham was told, God promised Abraham, you will have land, you will have seed, you will have blessing. And the seed that Abraham was promised to have was this. You are going to be made into a great nation, Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have many, many grandchildren. Abraham, you look at the stars and you won't even be able to number your descendants, Abraham. This is my promise to you. Except there was one problem for Abraham. It tells us in Genesis chapter 11 that Sarah, Abraham's wife, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, Sarah or Sarai, it says about her that Sarai was barren. She had no children. It only needs to tell us she's barren. But it tells us she's barren and she has no children. So then in order for this promise to happen... For God to make this promise to happen, for them to be made into a great nation, God has to make the impossible possible. And God is an expert at doing that. And so, at 90 years of age, when Sarah's 90 and and Abraham's 100, they have this baby, Isaac. How? Through the hand of God. Through the hand of God. And that's not the only time God worked in this way to make the impossible possible because her son, Isaac, met this woman called Rachel. And when her son, Isaac, met this woman called Rachel, he prayed a prayer for her in Genesis 29, verse 31. Or, sorry, it was Rebecca. In Genesis 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed for Rebecca. He said, It says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. It happened to his mother and the Lord did a miracle. It happened to his wife and the Lord, he did a miracle. The Lord makes the impossible possible. And that is not the greatest miracle that we see necessarily in this passage. The amazing miracle in this passage is that God, God comes after people who are not even looking for Him. God runs after people who are not even looking for Him. You'll remember the pattern that I've kept banging on about. Hopefully by now you remember the pattern that I've kept banging on about in 
the book of Judges. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. There is one more. It is solitude. That is rest that you'll have at the end of the pattern. And you'll notice at the beginning of this chapter, you have sin. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And again, at the, at the beginning of this, the first verse, you have not only do they sin, but they experience suffering at the hands of the Philistines. Now, what is meant to happen after sin and suffering? God's people, according to the pattern, are supposed to cry out to him. There is supposed to be sadness. Except what has happened in the last few chapters? The cycle has been broken. God's people don't even call out to him. God's people have forgotten him. God's people are no longer crying out to him. And yet, what does God do? God pursues them. Goes to a barren woman and says, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to bring salvation. Even when they're not looking for him. It's the amazing thing about God. That God saves people even when they are not looking for him. God can make the impossible possible. That's so encouraging to me because when I look at my friends and when I look at my family and when I look at people who I love, I say, impossible. Impossible. They're not even looking for him. They're far away from him. Impossible. And yet, what do we learn? God saves people who are not even looking for him. That's encouraging to me. On Friday night, when we invited people to this event, I praise God that people came. But I also know that people didn't come. Do you know why? Because I invited people who didn't come. And what can happen is we can be discouraged by that. You know, we invite people who didn't come and then you think, oh, well, they don't care and God, you're never going to save them and God, you're never going to do a work and God, you cannot do this. And and we start to doubt him and we think, oh, I'll just never invite anybody again because I don't know if God is going to do a work. And then even the people who do come, you kind of think, oh, will God even do it? They only just saw one talk. What is God going to do? And what I'd encourage you is this. God is an expert at saving people who aren't even looking for him. The disciples, what were they doing? They were fishing. They weren't looking for him. Jesus said, come, follow me. What was Paul doing? Paul was on the road to kill. God came to him. Come, follow me. Zacchaeus, what was he doing? Stuck up on a tree. Jesus came to him, said, come, follow me. God finds people who aren't even looking for him. That is the amazing grace of God. And that is what we see in this passage, this wonderful miracle birth in which God is going to pursue his people and save his people even though they are not looking for him. This is a miracle birth, but it is also a special birth. Look at verse 4. It says this, Therefore, be careful and drink no wine 
or strong. So she's told she's going to bear a son. Even though she's barren, she's going to have a son. And then she is told in verse 4, Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor, razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be an, a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from. I did not tell, he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. This woman, this wife, she is told, you are going to have a son. And this son is going to be a special son. And she is given all these instructions before this birth. It's kind of annoying when you get all instructions before a child is born. You kind of like, let me parent myself. I don't need your instructions or rules. But the Lord gives these instructions and rules to her. That her son is going to be a Nazarite. And this Nazarite vow goes back to Numbers chapter 6. And in Numbers chapter 6, this Nazarite vow was usually taken by someone voluntarily. So they will choose, I am going to take this Nazarite vow voluntarily for a certain period of time. And so they would take on this vow themselves and they would choose to drink no wine or strong drink. They would choose not to cut their hair and they were also not to come in contact with any of the dead. In other words, if they come in contact with any of the dead, they would be made unclean. And so what is being told here is that you don't get an option. Usually this vow is voluntary. Usually this vow is taken by someone later on in life. But actually, she is supposed to take this vow on behalf of her child before he is even born. And now she is the one who is to have no wine or strong drink or unclean food before her child is born. And then when he is born, he is going to have no wine or strong drink or unclean food. He is going to have no razor to his head, for he is going to be devoted to the Lord for his entire life. This was a special vow that you would take to say, I am devoted to the Lord. I am given over to the Lord for this specific period of time. And what the Lord is saying to her is that this special child is going to be given over to the Lord from his birth to his death. This is a special gift and birth from God to her. And what we see in this special birth is that it is an absolute miracle. And this special birth is not the only special birth that we see in the Scriptures. Not only do you have the birth that happened through Sarai, not only do you have the birth that happened through Rebecca, but you also have the birth that happened through Rachel. You see, Rebecca had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, he ended up getting two wives, except the two wives were two sisters. And you know when the two wives are two sisters that that's not going to work out too well. 
So these two wives, they're two sisters, and so one is, the scripture alludes to the fact that one isn't as beautiful as the other. And so we are told in Genesis 29, verse 31, when the Lord saw Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And after the Lord opened Leah's womb, Leah had four children. Guess what happened to Rachel? Rachel was jealous. So Rachel gets her servant, and Rachel says to her servant, you know, you go and be with, you know, my husband. And then the husband, he didn't kick up a fuss about that or anything, and so he ends up having two more children. So now he has three partners and six children. Pretty messy family, right? Then Leah can't have any more children, so she gets jealous. So she gets her servant and tells her servant to go and be with her husband. And then her servant has two more children. Now he has eight children with four partners. Pretty messy family. Then Leah is able to have children again. And so she has two more children. So now you have ten children, four partners, and Rachel still hasn't had her own child. She is barren. And in order for her to have a child, God needs to do a miracle in her life. And that's exactly what God does. In Genesis 30, verse 22, it says this, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. That is a special birth. She also had another son, which is Benjamin. So you have 12 sons, four partners, and that is the makeup of the 12 tribes of God's people. Quite amazing. And God brings about this special birth through this barren woman, Rachel. And God has a plan that through this Joseph, that God would save his people. That God would do a miracle and save his people through a messed up family. That is encouraging to me. That God can take the people that we least expect, and God can use them for His glory. I don't know how your family life feels right now. It's probably, my guess is, as we go up to Christmas, you're probably exhausted. We're probably pretty tired. We probably still haven't done all the Christmas shopping yet. We probably only barely make it to church on a Sunday morning. And it all feels kind of like a mess. And sometimes in that mess, it feels like God is very far away from me and God couldn't care. And yet when you look at this family, how God moves through this family, through Rachel and Leah and through all that mess, it is encouraging to know that God can still make the impossible possible even through a mess we might have in our lives. That God can take that mess and God can do a miracle. That's encouraging to me. And when you look at this woman, this wife, she comes and she says to her husband, 
the Lord is going to give me a child. The Lord is going to bring about a birth. The Lord is going to do a miracle. And you know what's amazing about this wife? Like I've told you, we do not even have her name. Do you know who this wife is according to the scripture? This wife, according to the scripture, she is a nobody. You will never know, ever know, the name of Samson's mother, ever. Her name is forgotten in the history books. Her name won't be written down. Nobody knows her. She's a nobody. And yet God chooses to use her. That's encouraging to me. That God could take the nobodies, the people who will never go down in history, and God can use them for his purposes and plans. That's what he does with this woman. So we have a miraculous birth. We have a special birth. And then with all births, you will know that there are reactions. So whenever anybody gets pregnant and announces the news, there's always reactions. So again, when Luana came to me and announced the news very first day, there was a reaction. You know, she did one of those tests with the line, and you can't believe that test with the line. It's just, you know, and then she does another test, and the line is still there, and I can't remember. Is it like two lines or one line, or is it a different color? I can't really remember. But then I said, you know what we're going to do? We were in the States. We, we said, we're going to go down to Walgreens. I'm getting a digital one. I want the word to say pregnant or not pregnant. That's what I want. So we went down and we got a digital one just to make sure we could know that this was actually happening. So there's different reactions. And then slowly you start to tell those who are closer to you, the family that are closer to you, and they start to react and cry and whatever and all that sort of stuff. And then you make it you know, official on social media and then everybody kind of knows and the news kind of spreads. And there's loads of different reactions. And so what we see when you hear of this miracle birth for this barren woman who has no children, you expect there to be a number of reactions. Her reaction is this. She runs to her husband and says, we're going to have a son. This man came to me. She doesn't really know that he's an angel yet. She's like, this man came to me and we're going to have a son. That's her reaction. But what is the husband's reaction? It's quite telling. Verse 8 is the husband's reaction. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with this child who, is bo- who will be born. Lord, please come and tell us what we're to do with this child when he is born. But the Lord had already told his wife, He's going to be a Nazarite. You're not going to cut his hair. You're not going to have strong drink. You're not going to eat unclean food. He doesn't need any more instructions, but it's kind of like this. You know when someone goes to a door, a locked door, and they try and open it, and they're right in front of you, and they say, the door is locked. They try and open it. They say, the door is locked. No, it's locked. And you're standing there, and you're looking at the locked door, and you're saying, I know they've said it's locked. I know what they've said, that they've said it's locked, but everything in me wants to go to the door handle and try it myself. Everything in me wants to make sure this is actually true. 
And so that's exactly what's happening here. The wife has come to him and said, listen, we're going to have a child. And he's like, I need to see it for myself. I need to know myself. So in, in some way, what is he doing? He is doubting his wife's word. So he prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, will you, will you come? Will you show me? Will you give me the proper instructions, Lord? Because I really need to know. And then what the Lord does is, is brilliant. The Lord in verse 9, it says this. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So can you imagine this? He prays and he says, oh Lord, can you please send, can you please send an angel again? Lord, please do it. Please show us again. We need to know. And the Lord does. The Lord answers the prayer. Yeah, I'll send the angel again, but I'll send him to the woman. So Manoah is about to miss out again, except what happens is this, verse 10. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me again. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? It's not even saying his wife, this woman. And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, What is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I have said to the woman, let her be careful. She may eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I have commanded her, let her observe." And so what does the man say? What does the angel of the Lord say? He just repeats himself. Everything I told to the woman, I am telling to you, and I want the woman to keep this command. This is what I want her to do. And so after this, the man's reaction is this. Let me explain it to you from verses 15 down to verse 20. The man decides, well, I'm going to make a meal for, for this angel who he says is a, who, who he thinks is just a normal man. He says he makes this meal. And then the angel says to him, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. And so they offer a burnt offering to the Lord. And as the fire of the burnt offering is going up to the Lord, the angel goes into the fire and disappears disappears. And after the angel goes into the fire and disappears, it tells us at the end of verse 20, now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. And then you see their two reactions. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahina Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now what you've got is these two different reactions. The reaction of the man 
and the reaction of the woman. The reaction of the man is saying this. That man wasn't a man. That man was the angel of the Lord. Therefore, we saw God in seeing the angel of the Lord. Therefore, we are going to die. Therefore, what is he believing? You're not going to have a son because we're all going to die. We're all going to die. That's what he's saying. We're all going to die. We've seen him. We're all going to die. That's his attitude. Fear. That's really interesting, isn't it? Fear. Because there is another account in the Scripture where a man doesn't react with belief, he reacts with fear. It's in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, there's this guy called Zechariah and this woman called Elizabeth. And they're old. They're old. And here's what it says about Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife. They had no child because Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1 verse 7, because Elizabeth was barren And both were advanced in age. She's barren. She can't have children. And both of them are old. There's no way they are having children. There is no way this is going to happen. And then an angel appears to Zechariah in the temple. And the angel comes to him. And he is afraid when the angel comes to him. He is afraid. And the angel says, you are going to have a son. And that son is going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Zechariah replies with his reaction, similar to the reaction of Manoah. He replies, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is in advance in years. There's no way this is going to happen. And then what does the Lord do? The Lord shuts his mouth and he's not able to speak until John the Baptist is born. God makes the impossible possible. And what happens for us is sometimes we doubt the power of God. And we let our fears lead us to that place of doubt. That's what's happening to Manoah. We're going to die. We're going to die. That's it. We're going to die. No, you're not going to die, the wife says. Something really interesting about the book of Judges, and it is this. All the men in the book of Judges, a lot of the men in the book of Judges, I always exaggerate, all the men, a lot of the men in the book, most of the men in the book of Judges, they're all afraid. They're all scared. Barak, I'll go into the battle if you come with me. Deborah, he's afraid. Gideon, show me a sign. Show me another sign. Show me another sign. Why? Because he is afraid. Manoah, we're all going to die. He is afraid. I wonder if that is a challenge to us as men. Why are all the men afraid? Why do all the men doubt? Why don't all the men believe? Why are all the men scared? You know, it is my prayer for myself, for the men in this room, for all the boys in this room, that we would be those who would walk in faith and not in fear. That we would stand for the Lord in this generation no matter what. That when these young boys in this room look up at the older men in this room, they will see examples of courage, examples of faith, examples of men who are willing to stand for Jesus and who are not saying, we're all going to die. 
How about we have men who say, one day, we're all going to live for eternity. And they pursue and follow after that goal. And then you look at the women in the book of Judges. All the women in the book of Judges. And you look at the women in the book of Judges and you say, they're all absolute legends. It seems like none of them are scared. And I know I exaggerate again. But it does. It seems that way. When you look at Deborah, what does she do? Let's go. Barak is like, I'll go if if you go with me. But she's like, let's go. You look at JL with, with Sisera, what does she do? Come on in. Come on into the tent. Let me tuck you in. Let me give you a cup of milk and let me bang a thing into your head. That's JL. And then that woman who is up on the top of the tower with that stone, Abimelech's about to light the, light the tower on fire and maybe all the men, I don't know, but maybe all the men are saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. And you're one at the top of the tower. She grabs the stone, let's, let's sort this fellow out. She chucks it over the tower and it smashes him in the head. What a woman. And then this woman. Honey, we're not going to die it's not going to happen. All this stuff wouldn't have happened. Let's just believe and trust. Could I encourage the women? Keep going. I genuinely say this. I look at some of the women in the church, in this church, and it really encourages me to see your faith and your love for Jesus. And I would just say to you, keep going. Don't stop. You have many examples in Scripture where these women just relentlessly trust and trust and trust and trust and trust and trust even if this thing looks absolutely impossible. Our God is a God who makes the impossible possible and we can trust Him. And I know that Because there was another birth, another miraculous birth, another special birth, and it was the birth of all births. Because this woman, she was not barren, she was not old, she was a virgin. It was like the most impossible of realities. For this virgin who had never known a man, that the Lord would do a miracle in her life. It says this in Luke chapter 1. And the Holy Spirit, the Lord saying to her, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, also will conceive a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And then the angel says to, to this woman, for nothing is impossible with God. And this woman, she doesn't doubt. She doesn't fear. This woman, Mary, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What does she do? She trusts God, even though 
it looks impossible. And I would encourage all of you this morning, trust Him, even though it looks impossible. Don't be afraid. Live for Him. Because our God is a God who makes the impossible possible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray, I pray for the men in this room. Help us to be those of courage and faith. Help us to be those who stand for you and live for you and serve you and trust you. Lord, help us be examples to the younger men and the boys around us in this church. Lord Jesus, that we would love you, serve you, and live for you. Lord, I pray for the women in this church. Thank you for the example they are to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how they love you and serve you. I pray you'd give each one of them the strength to continue on trusting you. I pray that they would see the examples that we've heard this morning. And they would not doubt, but they would believe. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and the privilege it is to sit under it. In your name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.